This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Uh, well, this morning we'll, uh, we'll read some more in uh, the 12th chapter of the book of Matthew, if you would turn with me there. Uh, Matthew chapter 12, uh, we'll, we'll read verses 38 through 42 this morning. So Matthew 12, verse 38. <clears throat> Would you stand? Where you find it? <clears throat> verse 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for bringing us here again today. Thank you for your presence among us, in us. And Lord, as always, we look to you for guidance. We ask for um, direction. Lord, that you enable us to direct our thoughts toward you. That you enable us to be attentive to your word. Lord, grant that we may hear, receive in the heart what you're saying in this hour. Open your truth up to us, we pray. For our good and for your honor and glory, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, Josh, can you kill this one? And just this lapel mic? All right. Okay, yeah, turn that lapel mic down. All right. Verse 38. Um, If you've ever... Or let me say it this way. You've probably probably been in a discussion with someone in the course of sharing the gospel in which uh, they may question whether there is enough evidence to, to believe the truth that, that uh, is expressed here in the Scripture, that the truth that we hold to be true. And we had some discussion in our Sunday school class this morning about the objective um, and exclusive claims of Jesus Christ, that is, that He is the only way of salvation. There is salvation uh, in no other. There is no other way of reconciliation to God apart from Jesus Christ. Every human being comes into this world as a sinner um, at conception and birth. And that means that we're all in need of a Savior. We all stand condemned in and of ourselves, we all stand condemned before God and we need a Savior. And the message we have in the Scripture is that Jesus Christ is that Savior. He is the mediator between God and man. He Himself is uh, often referred to as the God-man because He's the eternal Son of God, never had a beginning He's the second person of the Trinity. God the Son has existed, will exist 
eternally. He's fully God. But he also became man. You know the Christmas story uh, some 2,000 years ago in a manger in Bethlehem. A babe was born, Jesus of Nazareth. The Son of God, the eternal Son of God, took on flesh. He became a man in order to redeem His people from their sins. Now, why should you or I or anybody else believe that story? Is, is there evidence to its truth? And I'm going to suggest that there is. Uh, I'm going to suggest that God has given sufficient evidence in His Word and in His works. And certainly, in the person of Jesus Christ. Now remember, that's, that's basically what's at issue in this chapter, is the identity of Christ. All the way through this section of Matthew, we've been witnessing the opposition come against Jesus. They're questioning His authority. They cannot deny the things that, he is, that He's doing. Uh, the miracles are, are undeniable. You know, He heals withered hands right in their presence. He casts out demons, restores or gives sight to the blind and ability to speak to the mute. So many things that they, they, they cannot uh, deny the, the miracles themselves. So, uh, because they want to deny the identity of Jesus, that is, they want to deny that He is, in fact, the Messiah, the Christ. So they accuse Him of working under the power of Satan. They are questioning um, Jesus' identity. Now, we come to verse 38. And that's what's happening here. Although, let me suggest right up front, this is not an honest inquiry. Some, some people do ask honestly. And I think, uh, I think you can say that God honors that. In other words, I've, I've, we have come as Christians, seeking truth, right? And we ask God, show us truth. And we have statements like that of Jesus um, saying, Seek and you will find. Knock, or uh, actually there, it's, it's the idea of keep on, it's persistence. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking, the door will be open. Right? Keep on asking and you'll receive. But this is not that kind of seeking that's happening here. They're, they're simp simply uh, tempting Him. They, they've already determined to reject Him. And so they come to Him in verse 38. Some of the scribes and Pharisees, these are some of the religious leaders. Uh, the scribes were the experts in the law. Now remember in, in uh, Old Testament Israel, uh, in, in the... Uh, in their culture, there is no separation of church and state. The law of God was the law of the land. Um, now, there was some separation at this point because they're under Roman rule, uh, so they have to abide by Roman law. But as far as they can, they still try to implement their own uh, rules and, and uh, laws. And the scribes are expert in the Mosaic law and in how to apply it. And the Pharisees are also represented here. And again, this is just a, a group of religious elite. I mean, they've, they've set themselves apart. Um, at least this is the idea. That's what the word Pharisee means, separated ones. They've, they've set themselves apart, supposedly, for the service of God and for uh, the purpose of making sure that God is honored and that His Word is kept. The problem is that they're not doing any of these things in truth. They're, they're really self-serving. And uh, in actuality, they're rejecting God's truth. So, the scribes and the Pharisees come to Jesus and they say, in what seems like a, uh, a, a respectful manner, verse 38, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Now look for just a moment at chapter 16, very similar incident. 
in verse 1. Then the Pharisees and Sadducees, this time, Pharisees and Sadducees came testing Him, asking that He would show them a sign from heaven. Now, that's what I'm suggesting is, is going on here. They're, they're actually testing Him. They're, they're, they want something that they can catch Him in, prove. Now, if He's not able to deliver the kind of sign that we're looking for, then this will be proof that He's not actually the Messiah. If He's not able to meet our demand, then He's not God sent. So they say, Teacher, we want to see a, a sign from you. Now, that's, that's interesting, isn't it? To see a sign from you. Think about just a, a few of the things we've already covered in just this chapter Alone, you go back to the beginning of the chapter, um, right after his disciples have been accused for violating the Sabbath, and we find that Jesus heals a man with a withered hand right in the midst of the crowd. Now, there's an uproar there because he heals the man on the Sabbath. But um, for our purpose, we just want to notice there that he does an undeniable miracle, a sign. And then you get down... Uh, further, and, and we see where he cast out a demon. There's a deaf mute who is who is healed, restored. He can now, uh, or a blind mute, he can now see and speak. And the demon has gone out of him. Again, another undeniable sign. Now, how do, the, how do the Pharisees, the scribes, the unbelieving Jews, how do they account for this? They say, well, of course, he does this by the power of Beelzebub, by the power of Satan. In other words, again, they can't deny the sign. They can't deny the miracle. So they just accuse him of operating under satanic influence. And this is what we talked about previously when we discussed the unpardonable sin. They accused him of operating under satanic influence. Influence. So he's done signs, right? I mean, just constantly. He's, he's healing. He's delivering, casting out demons. He's doing sign after sign after sign. So it seems strange, doesn't it, that they would come and say, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Now, this, this is, the word for sign here is just common word for or sign, but here I think they're using it with a special meaning. And again, let me point to uh, chapter 16 once again. And uh, Mark records it this way also in Mark chapter 8. Um, chapter 16, verse 1, Then the Pharisees and Sadducees came, and testing him, asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. Now, I think that gives a little insight into what, what they're talking about. In other words... What do they have in mind when they say, when Jesus has been doing all these miracles, He has demonstrated His power and authority. So, here they come, in the midst of all of this, saying, show us a sign. Essentially, what they're saying is, everything that you have shown us thus far is not sufficient. We want to see something really big. We want to see undeniable proof that you are who you claim to be. Or as Matthew says it in verse in chapter 16 and also Mark, we, we want to see a sign from heaven. Now, I think what they've got in mind there, in fact, uh, they say over in John 6, they say, you know, Moses gave us bread from heaven. They're talking about the manna. Not, and I think that's what they have in mind here. They're looking for something like that. Make it rain bread from heaven. Or do like Elijah did. Call down fire from heaven. Or maybe you can stop the sun like God did in Joshua's day while he was at war. Or maybe like in Hezekiah's time, you can make the clock actually go backwards. Do something spectacular that is just undeniable proof of who you are. I think that's what they have in mind here. I think that's what is meant in, verse, in chapter 16 
And in Mark 8, by show us a sign from heaven. Get God to testify openly in a special, on-demand way. In other words, we're saying, we're saying you need to do this now to prove who you are. So, uh, you say you're the Son of God. Get God to do this. Do this on-demand, unique sign to show that you really are who you say you are. Make it rain bread. Make fire come down from heaven. Something to prove that you're who you are. Jesus, of course, knowing their motive, says in verse 39, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. No sign will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Now, I I think uh, that reinforces the, the interpretation I just gave because Jesus says, no sign will be given this generation, right? No sign will be given this generation except the sign of the prophet Jonah, but that's the only exception. Now, he's been doing sign after sign after sign after sign. So, I think, again, what, what, what's at issue here is, is uh, uh, something on demand, something special, something unique as special proof that he's the Christ. And he's saying, that's not going to happen. I'm, I'm not going to do a miracle just because you demand it. It's, it's a sort of a way of saying, I have n- nothing to prove to you. I don't, I don't owe you any proof. But also, it's because certainly um, there's been plenty of sufficient evidence. So he says, Again, addressing their, their heart condition, like we talked about last week, an evil and adult, adulterous generation seeks after a sign. Go back up just a, <clears throat> a few verses. Verse 34, remember this last week? Brood of vipers, he says to them. Brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? He knows, he knows their heart. He knows their motive. And he brings that to the surface again here. You ask for this because you're evil. Because you're an adulterous people, an adulterous generation, meaning spiritually. You've you've forsaken the true God. You've gone after idols. This, again, is an interesting statement because ever since the Babylonian captivity, the Jews had been restored to... um, true worship of God. I mean, you can go back to the Old Testament and you see clear evidence, right, of them being, spiritually speaking, of them being an adulterous generation. They were constantly going after other gods. As soon as God brought them out into the wilderness, what do they do? Out of Egypt, they make a golden calf. And then they get into Canaan and rather than being true to the God who delivered them, they begin to worship all of the gods of the land. You get over into uh, uh, Elijah's time, where I mentioned a moment ago, where he calls fire down from heaven. They're worshiping Baal. I mean, just constantly throughout the Old Testament, they're, they're going after other gods. And that's why God allowed them to be taken into captivity in Babylon. But once you get past that, and once they're restored to their land, you have what we have here in the first century. There's no golden calf. There's, there's no temple for Baal or the Ashtoreth. There, there's a Jewish city, Jewish nation, Jewish city, Jerusalem, with the temple at the heart of it. The temple of the true God. So, from all outward appearance, it looks like they have forsaken idolatry and been true to the worship of the true God. But Jesus knows that's not true. This is an evil and adulterous generation, He says. Even though you've got all the outward appearance of true worship, here here are the Pharisees separated 
to the service of God. Here are the scribes given to understanding and teaching the law of God. Here's the temple in the midst of the city. And all of the sacrifices commanded in the Mosaic Law are, are, are being observed. The feasts are being observed. All the appearances of true and genuine religion that God had commanded for the people of Israel. All the appearances are there. And yet in their hearts, they are still committing idolatry. What is, what is the center of their worship? It's not God, but self. If it were God, they would recognize God's Son. If their heart was really given to truth, they would know who Jesus is and not be asking for further proof and not be tempting Him. So he says, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Now, again, <laughs> an interesting statement because that Jonah is not one of the uh, prophecies that you might just think of automatically off the top of your head as, as being a, a prophecy, a book pointing to the coming of Christ. Now, there are certain passages, aren't there, that we, that we typically think of when we think of messianic prophecies. Are there certain figures like Moses in which we see a a type of Christ clearly. You know, Moses delivers the children of Israel from Egypt. And you see in that a picture of, of Jesus coming and delivering His people out of sin. We see Joshua taking the people of Israel across Jordan into the Promised Land. And again, there's a picture clearly there of Jesus saving believers, bringing us over into the promised land. Even a picture of, of uh, death, you know, and craw- death is, physical death is often referred to as crossing the Jordan, right? And Jesus takes us safely across, takes us home into glory. So we, we think of places like that, or we might think of David as being a clear type of Christ, you know, greatest king of Israel, or Solomon in all of his wisdom, which Jesus alludes to a little further down here. But if you never read this passage or the parallel in Luke, would you have thought of Jonah as being a type of Christ? Would you have thought of Jonah as giving a sign that would be such a a type of what Christ was going to do that Jesus would use it? Say, this is the only, the only sign that will be given to this adulterous generation to prove, to show that I'm indeed the Christ. And it's not an on-demand sign, by the way. It's going to happen in God's timing. What is Jesus talking about? What is the sign of the prophet Jonah? Because you might look at the life of Jonah and say, you know, I don't see a lot of parallels there with Jesus. God told Jonah to go and preach judgment to the Ninevites. And because Jonah despised the Ninevites, he he went the other way. He disobeyed God. God says, go this way. Jonah goes that way. That's not a very good type of Christ, is it? Jesus, who always did what was pleasing to the Father. And Jonah was disobedient to God. And you probably know the story. God brings about a terrible storm on the sea. And the sailors begin to cry out to their gods for deliverance. And they're asking, you know, they're thinking this storm is the result of some sin. Who is at fault? And finally Jonah speaks up and says, it's me. You know, I'm, I have fled from the presence of the Lord, Yahweh, the God of Israel. Just throw me overboard. And the rest of you will be safe. Well, they didn't want to do that at first. But uh, the storm was so intense and they were so fearful for their own lives, they, they finally agreed and they took 
Jonah, and they threw him overboard. And when they did, sure enough, the storm died. And in one sense, so did Jonah. Jonah began to sink to the bottom of the sea, and he was swallowed. God sent a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah spent three days in the belly of this fish, crying out to God, as we just read earlier from chapter 2. And God spoke to the fish and caused the fish to vomit Jonah out on dry land. Then, after being delivered from the fish, delivered from death, Jonah went and did what he was supposed to do in the first place. He went and preached to the Ninevites, warning them that judgment was coming. The king declared a fast. The whole nation began to fast and pray and repent at the preaching of Jonah, and God spared them. An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Well, what sign was it that Jonah did that Jesus has in mind here? Jonah didn't do any signs, right? We, we talk about uh, signs like I mentioned earlier, Elijah calling fire out of heaven. Elisha making the axe head float, you know, thing, or raising the dead. What sign did Jonah do that Jesus has in mind here? Well, it's not that he did a sign, it's that he was a sign. He was, it was a, a living prophecy. Jonah himself, or you might say it this way, the events in his life were a sign, a type, a type of what Jesus was going to do, which would be a sign to all that He is indeed the Christ, the Messiah. So, for example, Jonah is cast overboard for the lives of the rest of the sailors in the midst of the storm. He, in a sense, is given over to death so that they might live. Although he didn't die physically, but came close. If it hadn't been, hadn't been for God's miraculous intervention, certainly he would have died. But he, he went down, as a simile, he went down into death, in a sense, as a type, into the belly of the fish. And then by the power of God, he's delivered after three days from this death, delivered from the belly of the fish, and becomes a testimony to the people of Nineveh. Now, let me look just for a minute uh, in Luke chapter 11, verse, this is, this is a different account of the same story here. Luke chapter 11, verse 29, while the crowds were thickly gathered together, he began to say, this is an evil generation It seeks a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah the prophet. For as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so also the Son of Man will be to this generation. So it's not that Jonah did a sign, it's that he was a sign, a living prophecy. Now, back to Matthew, Jesus explains this way. For as Jonah, verse, verse 40 for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. For Jesus is saying, this, this is the sign of Jonah. Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish and was delivered by God and was a testimony to the Ninevites. As Luke said, he became, he became a sign to the Ninevites. Now, that, that seems to suggest to me, and I have to, I mean, I'm going to state this because it seems to suggest it, but this is, there's some speculation involved here. But that, that seems to, to me to, to suggest that the Ninevites somehow knew what had taken place 
I mean, they, they either believe, just believed, Jonah told them how he was delivered from the fish and they just believed, or there was some kind of physical evidence of it. And many have suggested that. Again, no way to prove that. You know, some, some have suggested, you know, maybe the digestive fluids of the fish caused a, uh, a discoloration. Supposedly that happens. Uh, I can't. Uh, I can't prove that. <laughs> I don't know that anybody else can. Some, uh, again, some speculation involved there. But they saw something that was assigned to them. They they knew that his experience was real and true, and he became a sign to them as one. And this is where the typology comes in. As one delivered from death, he goes down into the sea, which again is a, a picture of death. Down into the sea so that the lives of the, of the sailors are saved, and into a watery grave, the belly of a fish, where he stays for three days and three nights. And then is miraculously, by the power of God, delivered as a testimony to the Ninevites of the truth of God. Jonah goes and preaches, and the Ninevites believe. They believe God. They hear the in fact says that in Jonah. They hear the preaching of Jonah, and they believe God. That's interesting, isn't it? It's because God's speaking through His prophet, and they believed Him. And so Jesus says, "This is the sign of Jonah. As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights." In the heart of the earth. So the sign is this. It's the death and resurrection of Christ. That Jesus comes and lays down His life for His people. He gives His life for the sake of others. And He literally goes to the grave. For three days and three nights. Now, let me say this about that too, because there's been much, uh, much discussion about that term. If you take it um, literally, literal three 24 hour periods, three days, three nights, then it um, presents a problem, doesn't it, for uh, our, our traditional account of the time. Involved in Jesus' death and resurrection. If, as we say, and as the Gospels suggest, if Jesus was crucified on Friday and then rose again at the break of dawn on Sunday, what we call Sunday, for them the first day of the week, crucified on Friday, rose again on Sunday, that's not three days and three nights. That's not three 24-hour periods. This, I think, is a, a, a case of an of a idiom. That is a, a, a Jewish saying. They would have understood this. Uh, in other words, any part of the day represents the whole. So, in other words, it's just a way of saying three days. When Jesus repeatedly Himself said he would rise on the third day. So he would actually be contradicting himself if he meant here a literal three 24-hour periods. That would mean rising on the fourth day. So that's not what he is saying. I think the traditional view, crucified on Friday, raised on Sunday, is correct. And it's just a way of saying that three days, you know, he was raised on the third day. Not, not three complete 24-hour periods, but three days were involved. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. For them, the preparation of the Sabbath, the Sabbath, and then the first day of the week. So Jesus is saying, this is the sign. What, what Jonah went through in his experience in these events was a picture, a type of what Jesus would do. Now, the, again, the main point is to say that that experience is a type of the resurrection of Christ. I mean, in other words, you can't, you can't use the whole life of Jonah and make all the pieces fit. Jesus wasn't sent to the grave, for example. He wasn't crucified because of sin. 
where Jonah went to the watery grave as a result of sin, right? But, but just his going overboard, going down, being swallowed up by the fish, and then being delivered from that is a sign pointing to the death and resurrection of Christ. And Jesus says um, it's, it's going to be fulfilled in that the Son of Man will spend three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And I think, again, that's just a way of saying the grave. In other words, he's going to, be, he's going to really die physically, and he's going to be buried. He's going to be put in a grave. And rise again on the third day. So Jesus says there, there's not going to be any sign given to this generation. Any uh, on-demand dramatic proof from heaven that He's truly the Christ. But there is going to be this sign. That is His own resurrection. The sign of the prophet Jonah. He will suffer. That is, Jesus will suffer. Will be crucified. Will die. And on the third day, emerge from the tomb. And that will be a sign to all people. A dramatic sign (laughs) to all people that He is indeed the Christ. Verse 42. I'm sorry, verse uh, 41. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. Because they they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and indeed a greater than Solomon is here. Now, Jesus gives two examples of condemnation on the judgment day to these condemnation for these very Jews, these very uh, scribes and Pharisees that are rejecting the testimony they have already witnessed. This generation, this evil and adulterous generation, Jesus says, will be condemned at the judgment day by the Ninevites and by the Queen of the South. Well, we just kind of explained who the Ninevites were. That was the Nineveh was the Assyrian capitals where uh, Jonah went to preach, and where there was uh, great revival, repentance, and and they were spared, at least that time, spared God's wrath. What about the Queen of the South? Well, you remember her. This is the Queen of Sheba that came uh, from Sheba to hear Solomon's wisdom. She had heard about Solomon, the son of David, and his great wisdom, and she wanted to. See for herself. And she came all the way from uh, what, what today is the southernmost tip of Arabia. Uh, today it's in the uh, area of Yemen. And you hear about Yemen quite a bit in the news. That was uh, uh, the home of the Sabians in, in, the, in the Old Testament. Uh, Sheba is where she's coming from. I don't know the mileage, but it's a long way. <laughs> that's, why, that's why it refers to it as the ends of the earth. For them it was the ends of the earth. And she comes all that way to hear about this great king, son of David, Solomon. And she brings a load of questions. And she asked Solomon all kinds of questions. And Solomon wasn't stumped by any of it. What the accounts in Kings and Chronicles tell us, and that's my own paraphrase. It doesn't say stumped there. But, but he answered all the questions. And she marveled. She had heard about His wisdom. And that's what attracted her in the first place. And then she experienced it. She heard Him speak and, and, and she was just awed by His wisdom. So much so that she was breathless, Scripture tells us, 
And she told Solomon, you know, I heard about your wisdom, but the half has not been told to me. It's, it's even greater than I heard. And then she began to pronounce blessing. You know, blessed are your servants who wait on you and hear your judgments, your wisdom, day in and day out. How blessed they are. She was convinced. She was impressed. She believed. And just like the Ninevites heard Jonah and they believed God, the queen of Sheba heard the wisdom of Solomon and knew that God had appointed him and that he truly was the divinely appointed king of Israel, son of David. Now, first place, this, this is shock. You know, you've heard the idea of shock and awe. This is shock and awe right here. For Jesus to tell the scribes and the Pharisees, you're going to be condemned at the day of judgment. Not patted on the back, not rewarded in a good way, but condemned. That's shock number one. Because they, they certainly would not have believed that. They certainly would not have thought that. They looked upon themselves as, as being righteous, being models for all of the rest of the people in Israel. And then to, to make it worse, Jesus says, you're going to be condemned by Gentiles. Now, they think of themselves as righteous before God, as, as Jews, as the cho- chosen uh, descendants of Abraham, as being above everybody else and, and just kind of automatically having the favor of God. And they think of Gentiles, that is all the non-Jews, as being less than, undeserving, dogs is a term they commonly use to describe us, most of us, the Gentiles. So Jesus not only says you're going to be judged, but, but these Gentiles, the people of Nineveh and the Queen of Sheba, they're actually going to stand up on the day of judgment and testify against you because they believed and you do not. Because they, the Ninevites, verse 41, repented at the preaching of Jonah. Now, this, this is key. They heard and they repented. They heard the Word of God and they repented. They didn't ask for a sign. They didn't say, you know, show us proof. proof. We hear what you're saying, but we need proof. They heard the Word of God and they recognized it as the Word of God and they believed God and they repented. And the queen of Sheba heard the wisdom of Solomon and glorified God. Now see, both of these things are just exactly the opposite of what the scribes and the Pharisees are doing. Just just make a comparison here. The Ninevites heard Jonah. Jonah! (laughs) the, The reluctant prophet. The one who tried to run from God and run from his God-given responsibility. He was not exactly one you might pick out as a model to hold up and say, now, here's a man of God. But God used him mightily. And the Ninevites heard him. They listened to him. When they heard the prophecy of Jonah concerning judgment, they repented because they believed God. That is, they recognized He was sent from God. But here's the scribes and Pharisees looking at the Son of God, Jesus, the ultimate prophet, who, unlike Jonah, never shirked responsibility, never ran from the will of the Father, and is speaking perfectly the judgments and the will of God. And the scribes and the Pharisees are questioning His authority and His identity. And whereas the Ninevites repented, the scribes and the Pharisees refused to repent. And they withstand Jesus to His face. 
and the Queen of Sheba. She's heard about the great son of David and his wisdom. And when she comes and hears, sees for herself, she's in awe of him. Again, she's, she's a believer. This is God's man. This kind of wisdom doesn't come from anywhere else. And she's convinced that God has blessed the nation of Israel by putting Solomon over them as king. But here we have the scribes and the Pharisees, not before the, the son of David, that is Solomon, but the ultimate son of David, capital S, the son of God himself. He's not only the ultimate prophet in contrast to Jonah, but he's the ultimate king in contrast to Solomon or any other king. The king. And again, his Solomon may have been the wisest man to ever live prior to this and since this, accepting Jesus. But Jesus is the wisdom of God in the flesh. And so where, as the Queen of Sheba heard and recognized and stood in awe of the wisdom God gave Solomon, these scribes and Pharisees deny the wisdom of Christ. They refuse to hear and oppose it rather than submit to it. So Jesus says, you'll be judged. Now, why? There is sufficient evidence already. They're, they're asking for some spectacular on-demand sign to prove finally that you're the Messiah. And Jesus is essentially saying, the evidence that you have is sufficient. And even if you saw one raised from the dead, like Jonah or the one whom he's a type of, Jesus, that won't be sufficient to convince you because... Not because it's insufficient, it's just insufficient in your mind, because you are determined to reject. The Ninevites, Queen of Sheba, heard and repented. They recognized God's revelation. Now, this is, this is a hard thing to describe. This is somewhat subjective sometimes. When you're speaking to somebody and they say, look, Where's the evidence? And you're sitting there as a Christian thinking, where is it not? I mean, we're, we're both looking at the same thing. These scribes and Pharisees were looking at the same Jesus that John, and James, and Peter... And Andrew, and all the other six, or maybe I should say other five, because Judah wasn't, uh, Judas wasn't a believer. But these scribes and Pharisees are looking at the same Jesus that Peter and the apostles are looking at and seeing two different things. And it's the same today. You can sit across from the table from somebody and they say, well, I just don't know. I just don't see the evidence that the Bible is true. I just, don't, I just don't see the evidence for a Creator. And I'm sitting on the other side of the table saying, I see it everywhere I look. I am pick anything. <laughs> look at people. Look at birds. Look at trees. Look at stars. Look, look at the sun. Look at the order. I've got a calendar at home, and it, it tells you. It's an amazing thing. It tells you um, what stage the moon is going to be in from day to day. And it's right. 
How is that? How do they know that? Evidence for God is everywhere. And that's just general revelation. What about special revelation? We've got over 4,000 years of history in this book that to date, all the people who hate it, and there are many, there have, there's been no shortage on people that hate the truth and hate the Bible. And 4,000 years so far recorded here, of course, you can go back further than that and just mankind, but they have not been able to disprove it. And it just continues to show itself true in everything that it says and everything that it predicts. How is that? And what about Jesus Himself? He said, the only sign that's going to be given to this generation is the sign of the prophet Jonah. That is, we find out later, and He gives a little insight here, we know more from later, that is that He's going to be murdered, put in a tomb, and then come out of that tomb. He didn't faint, like some people want to say. He wasn't in some kind of trance. He was dead, physically dead. And on the third day, God raised him from the dead, Paul says in Romans, declaring him to be the Son of God with power. Now, there's a sign from heaven. God raised him from the dead, proving his identity, validating everything he ever said and taught, demonstrating his authority, demonstrating his power over death, and putting the seal of God the Father on everything he said and did, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. The evidence is there. In 2,000 years of church history, the opponents have not been able to produce a body. Now, you may say, well, that's not so amazing today. We're so far removed. Yes, but they were vehemently opposed to Him when He was crucified and when He was buried. Now, there's the time it would have been easy to produce a body and show it to His disciples and say, this whole thing is nonsense. But they could not do that. In fact, they had to make up a story and spread it among the people, saying his, his disciples came. The third day, His disciples came and stole His body away. The evidence is there, and it's sufficient. One final note, and we're done. What Jesus is looking for here, <clears throat> from the people that He was speaking to, and from you and I, is that we hear, not just, not just hear with the physical, the scribes and the Pharisees were, he, were hearing with their physical ears, but they weren't perceiving, they weren't understanding, they weren't believing. That's what made them different from the Ninevites and from Queen of Sheba. He wants us to hear and respond accordingly. That is, repent. The Ninevites will condemn these Jewish leaders because they, the Ninevites, heard Jonah and they repented. That is, they believed God and their lives were changed. They submitted to God's will. The Queen of the South, Queen of Sheba, will condemn this generation, Jesus says, because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Well, she heard. She believed. They don't. And so they stand condemned. And notice what Jesus says in verse 41 and 42. The Ninevites will condemn this generation because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. The Queen of the South will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it 
For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. Earlier on, in Matthew's account, you may remember previously, he made the statement, there's one greater than the temple here. <laughs> Do you see what he's saying? If, if there were consequences for not believing Jonah, if there were consequences for not recognizing God's hand on Solomon, and, and conversely, salvation in believing God through the mouth of Jonah, seeing God's hand on Solomon, then how much more, he's saying, how much more is the case for you who hear and see the Son of God in person? Hear the wisdom of God in person. If they were expected to hear and repent, how much more are you? Here's the final word. Where's the evidence? They, they had to hear, right? Jonah, Jonah preached. and They believed God. Queen of Sheba heard the wisdom of Solomon. And she believed God. We have God's Word right here. Right here. We don't need another sign from heaven. Every sign Jesus gave, every sign recorded throughout the Bible, including and especially His resurrection from the tomb. Every sign is sufficient and testifies to the truth of what Jesus said and taught. And it's recorded for us right here. The question is, will we hear and will we repent? That is, will we hear and recognize the Bible is God's Word and submit to the will of God? Romans 10.13, Paul says, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach unless they are sent? Corinthians, Paul wrote that it was through the foolishness of the message preached, that is the message of the cross, that the world thought to be foolishness. It's through the foolishness of the message preached that God chose to save those who believe. Hear, hear God's testimony and repent. That is, come to Christ in faith, forsake sin, follow Jesus. Would you stand, please? Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that in Your mercy, You have decided out of Your own good pleasure to make Yourself known. To reveal, to reveal Your glory in creation. And to give knowledge of saving truth in the Gospel of Jesus Christ. So that truly, as we just read in the book of Romans, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I pray today, Lord, that if there's anyone in this room who has not been 
reconciled to you who does not know your salvation, this would be the day that they call upon you, cry out to you for mercy, trust you, trust in the work of Christ, in the person of Christ, for salvation from sin. Lord, may, may, if this be the case, may they not rest until, until they've done that. Lord, give us wisdom in carrying this gospel to others in our community and who we uh, come across in our daily routines. Give us wisdom in carrying this gospel message to them. And we pray. Lord, looking to You, knowing that conversions are granted. People are saved by Your power, not by ours. We pray, Lord, send us forth accompanied with Your power, the power of Your Spirit, making Your Word effectual. Use us for Your honor and glory in these things. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you and the Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. We're dismissed. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.